Hi, I'm Max, and you're listening to the Alleviating Poverty Through Entrepreneurship podcast. Our guest this week kind of defies easy description, but I'll try to hit the highlights. Ivana Hu is the co-founder and CEO of Gmarifa, a mobile learning platform designed for emerging markets. Before that, she co-founded the University of Chicago Microfinance Initiative, and she helped write grants for Chicago public schools to fund turnaround schools. Most recently, though, she's working on a new project called Collaboration Jenna, which helps to profile entrepreneurs in conflict areas. We sat down with her to talk about everything she's done in the last few years, starting with the origins of Gmarifa. I was in Kenya doing field research for, for my thesis, and while I was there, I was volunteering with a lot of nonprofits and businesses, and I saw that there's a huge problem with um, capacity, just human capacity and the, in, the ability to train um, your employees. Um, and so I just and so I started to talk to them a lot about, um, you know, what what the exact problems are and how we can solve them. And so eventually we realized that the biggest problem is just the fact that people are in remote places and to bring them into one central location to train them is just really difficult. Um, so how can we get around it? Well, we found that everyone has a mobile phone essentially. Um, they're probably the really dumb phones. And so we started to build our product first on SMS and then slowly we expand up to mobile web and Android apps. Uh, G stands for global and Marifa, when we first uh, chose the name, it was Swahili uh, for knowledge, so global knowledge. But then when we expanded to the Middle East, uh, we actually realized that's the exact same word in Arabic for the exact same meaning as well. So it works. G Marifa has worked on two products so far, Sophia and Orion. We started out with Sophia. Um, Sophia is a SMS-based job training, evaluation, and placement. Um, and that's really to combat the 60% of youth unemployment that's very prevalent in most of Middle East and Africa. But, and it was really successful. We had about 2,000 people going through the program. Um, but then we slowly realized that we could only grow as fast as we could place the top performers into jobs and mathematically speaking they're just not that many jobs <laughs> mm-hmm. so so we're like okay we need a different way of making money because we're a for-profit company and we wanted to have more impact um, and at the time with Sophia all of our content uh, we created it and so it's proprietary but creating content is very costly um, time-wise and money-wise and so, and that was when actually outside institutions came to us and they said, hey, we heard you have this great platform and metric system for measuring the impact. Um, can we use it for our own content? So that's how Orion came about. We changed some stuff up, we added features, et cetera, to make it a lot more client-friendly. Um, but, so, but now we focus 100% on Orion. We've licensed out our content for Sophia to other companies and nonprofits. Ivana was inspired to focus on education during her time in Chicago. Before G- starting G. Marifa, I started the University of Chicago Microfinance Initiative. Um, I solely focused on microfinance, and, that, and at the same time, I was doing a lot of urban education policy for the city of Chicago. And for both of those um, situations, I found that education is really, at least in my opinion, it's the root of poverty and a lot of societal problems. Um, ignorance is a huge problem. and But that can be fixed, and that's why I wanted to focus on education. But mobile training apps aren't exactly groundbreaking. I wanted to know what made Orion uniquely suited to emerging markets. 
So Orion works because we expect the clients who are businesses and aid agencies and nonprofits, uh, we expect them to have access to uh, really good Wi-Fi because you usually they're sitting in headquarters. So um, for them, they have a web and cloud-based interface where they can go on, they can upload content, they can communicate with their end users, but most importantly, they can track um, they can they can track um, the their performance over time in real time and and historically um, and do analytics um, and with with the people that we're training we're reaching out to they are on their mobile phones um, so that's where the emerging market comes into play is that it doesn't matter if they have a very dumb phone from like 10 15 years ago uh, they can go through our SMS platform and it's not just a one-way push system it's they can also re respond back to questions and then we can tell them they got it right or wrong so in that sense it's a lot more competitive given Ivana's background I wanted to know if Orion could be used for primary and secondary education not just vocational training so with Orion, we don't focus on vocational training at all. We're content agnostic. It really depends on the client. They're the ones who have their own content. Mm -hmm. um, so we train people on entrepreneurship, um, on sales, on, uh, on a variety of different things, on health, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely see it as a tool for, for education. The one thing that... Yeah, I mean, like, I think what really d differentiates us from a lot of the other projects, like the Wikipedia one, is that that's a lot of push, right? Like, how, but how but how can you get someone involved in it first? Like, if, yes, Wikipedia is, is accessible through SMS, but if you never, if you never heard of it, or if you just don't want to look, look up, I don't know, a subject or whatever, then you're never going to use mm -hmm. it. Jean Marif has a new business, and this is still an undeveloped market. I wanted to know how Ivana went about establishing credibility for her business. I mean, it's not only a problem with Sophia, it's also a, um, it's a topic that we're very sensitive about with Orion as well, because everything is contingent upon our brand, right? Like there's a reason why people go to Harvard. Harvard might not give you the best education, but it gives you the best brand name. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here is if we can build build up the G Marifa brand name to be and and make sure that the people who have gone through our program are trained and that they're engaged, then more people will use it, right? And that's sort of that network externality. Um, and that's what been and that's why we have also been pretty picky actually about which publicity um, or marketing campaign to do or which interview to do with the media. Switching gears a little bit, we talked about Collaboration Jenna, Ivana's new project that collects stories of entrepreneurs in conflict zones. I'm actually really excited about it. It's mm -hmm. our new project. It's sort of tied in with Jim Rifa. Uh, because of my work with Jim Rifa, I've been asked to be uh, mentors and coaches at a lot of incubators. So one, I'm doing one um, in Nairobi right now, and then there's another one that I'm doing in Gaza. And I also travel a lot for my work. So, um, you know, going from Kurdistan to to Somalia and to a lot of these war zones, one thing you, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who are trying to make tech startups happen. And a lot of people choose tech is because they don't have to be in physical da danger when they start it, right? Because they can just do it from their home. Um, and so, and in talking to these, these people, I realized that they have a very unique set of challenges. So for example, in Gaza, you don't have power for six hours out of the day, and you really don't know when your power's gonna go out. So 
how can you run a tech startup when you don't have power, right? And there's no 3G because Israelis have banned it from from Gaza. So like the creative ways that they have to they have to think to think of just to get around all these problems, it was very interesting to me. And um, and at the same time, whenever I come back to the states, about once or twice a year, I give a lot of public speaking engagements where I talk about these people and and people were like well you should just do something about it and I was like okay sure yeah why not <laughs> so I've collected a lot of stories from these entrepreneurs their challenges um, there are some successes but there are, are also a lot of failures just just because if you're in a war zone and you don't have power you're it's not gonna survive right um, and over time, so now, right now, it is a web-based platform, but actually, we're also doing um, photos and, uh, and videos. Here's just one of the incredible stories that Ivana hopes to tell. I just interviewed this one person. Um, he's actually, he just raised a $10 million round, actually, for his startup um, called ShopGo. And his name is Mo. Um, he is Syrian. Um, but when the revolution in Syria happened, he had to leave. And at the time, he had he he had to decide essentially between, um, you know, doing something very similar to what he was doing before, or doing something completely new. And he went to Lebanon, and he didn't like it there. And then um, and then he finally came to Jordan, where he really liked this, the atmosphere, and he wanted to start. But this, by the time he didn't he didn't have an income because there was that. Um, economic siege on anything Syrian from from America and 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 a lot of his clients were from um, from here and so he had I mean that ju- just he, I mean he, he basically had to make a bunch of decisions right on the go like you know I'm not I, I am going to not register this in Syria where I want I want to take this out into a, a different country where he didn't know anyone it should come as little surprise that doing business in a conflict zone is fundamentally different than the way we usually imagine it. I asked Ivana what some of the biggest differences she noticed were. I think there are two levels. Um, one is you, in countries where conflict is a more of a recent occurrence, so for example in Kenya, people still haven't found that differentiation between this ability and business or life as usual, right? So then when a political thing happens, everything shuts down. And that was what happened last year with the Westgate bombing and with the election and then the Supreme Court ruling. But then you get to places like Jordan, which is not in conflict, but because they received so many refugees um, and Gaza and, and the West Bank, right? Because they've been in conflict for such a long time and Israel, um, they are really good at differentiating things like that. So like, you know, political, it could be like political nightmare, but they are, they're so going, going about their, their life and business mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So things are a lot slower as well because of it. Um, and so you have to have a lot of patience. Um, the sales cycle is usually double or triple what it is here. We've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs working in developing countries on this show, and they've all shared very different stories about the ease of doing business in their respective countries. I asked Ivana what her experience has been like. So we also have an office in Tunisia, and in Tunis, it's the exact same way. It's it's in countries where it's essentially run by like four families. You have to be very careful about 
and in countries that are small, right? You have to be very careful about what you say, um, especially politically, and you don't want to offend people because mm. someone will hear about it and will get back to that person, and it's, it's just a nightmare. The ease of doing business, it really ver- it depends. Um, so, for example, in Tunisia, I had to have a Tunisian partner, local partner on the ground. And, you know, even in places like Qatar, 51% of business has to be owned by a Qatari. So, and, and, and this is put in in most countries j- j- just to make sure that the foreign direct investments don't overrule or overshadow their domestic industry, which is understandable by the same time they're driving out people. Um, and with the new immigration law passed, because getting work per- permits in Kenya takes about three thousand dollars uh which is a lot and the same and it's and but the bad part is it takes about eight to nine months so by the time you actually get your work permit you've already you've already had to go in and out of the country on a tourist visa like three four times and you're like well that kind of defeated a purpose if the work permit is only for a year (laughs) collaboration jenna puts a lot of focus on tech startups and i wanted to know why there are always a lot of the micro-financed um, businesses like jewel- like jewelry or um, building a supermarket. Um, and as much as I love people who do that, um, I think microfinance industry has already done a pretty good job get- getting the word out about these people and their businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I want to focus on head tech. Interestingly, Ivana said the informality of tech companies and their lack of need for physical capital actually made them uniquely suited to emerging markets. Because the rules are sort of vague about it, a lot of foreigners are in these countries and they're all operating unofficially, right? Because if you run a tech company, technically, it's not a, you don't need a physical office. As long as, long as you don't have a physical office, they're not gonna know that you're working from in, in, in their country, essentially. Mm-hmm. Given her experience, I wanted to know what Ivana thought the biggest issues in social enterprise were today. I think overall, um, it's still the lack of capital. And I'm not talking about the lack of capital at the C stage. I think at the C stage, it's, it's, all, it's almost like there are enough players in that market. But what, what these C players need to realize is there's no way you can you know, offer someone $25,000 for 20% of their company. Because that's that just lessens the incentives for the entrepreneurs to actually do the work when you take such a big chunk out of it. And usually these entrepreneurs have no other way um, of funding the, the startup. Um, but regionally for the MENA region, and this is just me you know, helping my friend out a little bit. Um, WAMDA Research Lab. So WAMDA is the it's the Middle East and North Africa's leading platform for startups. They actually just released a report on the, the problems that entrepreneurs face. And for them, it's actually scalability, right? Um, because it's so easy now to do the C round, there's almost this like Death Valley gap of like, okay, now that I have a prototype, how do I actually grow the company? And there's really a not a lot of mentorship in that, and B, there's just not a lot of money in it. Um, so I know a couple of players in that region that are trying to shift some of the C money into the uh, Series A or growth round. 
Finally, we had to ask our obligatory closing question. What advice did she have for people looking to get into social entrepreneurship? The best answer I have for that is delusional optimism, right? You sort of have to turn, like, you know the problems are going to be there. You know that somewhere down the line you're going to run out of money or um, you need, you, what if you really don't like the country that you just moved to, etc. But you just sort of have to put them in the back of your mind and be like, okay, I'm just going to focus on what I can do and what I can control. And somehow things will fall into place. And I think that's a great thing about the startup world in general is because we've all been there. So there's always someone to catch you. If you are totally miserable and you want to get on a plane to go home, that's fine. We'll try to make, make that happen. Uh, or if it's just anywhere from like acquisition process is an emotional roller coaster, um, we're here to listen, right? So like I've gone on calls with people who like, and the call would be like a two hour call and they'd be crying to me the entire time. That's fine. Like we all need to vent. I actually think starting doing a startup while you're in school is probably the best because if you fail, probably not a lot of people will know about it. But the best part is when you go ask for help, it's so easy. You can literally approach anyone and be like, hey, I'm a student. And then you show that you thought about the idea thoroughly and everyone's like, yeah, of course, because <laughs> mm. there's no conflict of interest whatsoever. Ivana will be coming to Ohio State this fall to present some stories from Collaboration Jenna at the Wexner Center for the Arts. You can also find out more information about Gmarifa at gmaarifa.com. Until next time, I'm Max Mauerman, and we're alleviating poverty through entrepreneurship.